All right, since we have an awesome musician and songwriter on today, I figured let's play some of that awesome musician and songwriter's music, including at the very end of the episode, you'll hear some highlights from Gunger's latest release, Love Song to Life, including a track done with the legendary gospel singer, Israel Houghton. We are you rolling. let us know right. when we're rolling. We are rolling. <laughs> check, check, check. Y'all look. This shows my age. Look how big I'm printing things out now. now and I have my The phone. fact that you printed it out shows your age. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Yeah. <laughs> and I have my phone on a larger setting. It's like I'm turning into a grandpa. <laughs> Josh, you were telling us about uh, a dream. Can we say who had that dream or is this too intense? That's pretty intense. It's pretty I mean, intense. what if it happens? Okay, well, let's just say somebody you... No, dreamed about somebody a loved I know one. and sleep with <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> sometimes she, she, <laughs> she, <laughs> exclusively, but sometimes. <laughs> Just because I don't believe or agree doesn't mean I can't learn from you. Why did you have to bring that up? Okay, <laughs> that one I'm super embarrassed about. <laughs> Do you like me? Do I like you? Yeah, as a as an individual or as yeah, a as, as a person. No, person. I like you. Okay, cool, yeah. cool. And I don't have any interest in appearing to be stronger than I am. I ain't bowed a Nebuchadnezzar statue. He gonna leave. You feel me? How do we love people who see the world differently than we do? What would it look like if we truly loved all of our neighbors? Could listening to their stories be the first step? This is Seacoast Church, and there's way more to talk about. All right, everyone, we're making beautiful things with Michael Gunger himself. See what I did there? If not, all good. Moving on. Met Michael Gunger around the time his career imploded, given a lot of his income was from Christians. And when he became vocal about shifts in his beliefs, it was troublesome enough for venues and churches to cancel their Gunger concerts. You'll hear more about that story, Michael's background, and what he's up to now, including some of the ways he thinks. I love this guy. Before that, it's Pastor Josh. Josh, the lead guy himself. Hey, did y'all know this guy makes everyone stand up when he walks into any room at the church? Just kidding. In fact, if I slip this in there without saying J slash K, I'd have a serious talking to. <laughs> love this guy as well. Thanks for being a listener and much love to you all. The dream was that a bunch of the kids were playing and there was baby alligators. And so they were like looking at them in close and the other someone was backing away. Everybody saw like a huge gator behind him and were like yelling at him, but he didn't hear him and backed up and the big gator just like ate him. Yeah. This is 2005 or six. I know that because I was very new to Seacoast and I don't know if you heard about this and it's been such a long time ago, but there was a poor dear woman. She was kind of my peer, maybe a little bit older, but she was pregnant, ends up in the hospital with a very dangerous situation and they were on vacation. I'm pretty sure she slipped into a mild coma, wakes up from her coma, finds out that her brother died tragically. And then they get home and their dog was eaten by an alligator. Oh my God. And I'm thinking to myself, <clears throat> could God have just spared the dog? <laughs> like, yeah. like a comfort oh. animal. I mean, seriously, it, it just, uh, it was shocking. It was like one horrible thing wow. after. I'm another. so glad we came today. This has been uplifting <laughs> yeah. so far. Are you feeling good, Lynn? I, you know, <laughs> Did, have, I don't think we've told this story on the podcast how Lynn saved Priscilla's dog's life. So her and I barely knew each other. Yeah. And I brought Suki to work. Puppy. I mean, yeah, very, very new dog and just owns Priscilla's heart. I don't know anything about dogs. I never grew up with dogs. We had we had cats. This is the first dog that I've ever had. And I show up. And I, I think Lynn and somebody else were the first two people that I saw. This was in the big building across the street. And I it went, was summertime. Yeah. And I went up to him and I was just like, hey, uh, Priscilla has a new dog and she's totally fine out in the car. Right. I mean, I'm just going to be here for 45 minutes. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And and, uh, and I was like, I left the windows cracked. We're good. Right. And Lynn I was first like, thought he was joking. And I asked, are you se- are you being serious? You really have a dog in the car. <laughs> <laughs> and so so I with with. Lynn's admonitions. I go out to the car and I bring Suki in and then have my little meeting. And then when I pick Suki up, Lynn 
says very matter of factly, your the dog would have died. Oh yeah, if you would have kept yeah, it in yeah. the car. What's amazing to me is that we let this guy run a campus, <laughs> and now we let him oversee a podcast, uh, which is yes, remarkable. Yes. But at, well, to his credit, though, you saved his dog. He saved my daughter. So there you um, go. Yeah, yeah. There you she go. was in a pool, and he jumped in and saved her life. So well, what was crazy about that situation is I realized how easy it is for someone to drown in a very safe setting because she was literally six feet away from me, and I would not have noticed her. But your another, daughter told you or it was it was actually another strikers. little girl that pointed and said, "Pastor Joey, that girl is under the water." I would not have seen mm. your daughter. Whose daughter was that? that uh, it was. You don't know the family. Lynn, you have a pastoral heart, right? You care about people. I do care about people. You care about the people listening to you on the podcast? Yeah. Yeah. Like you care about them consuming this content. You you would love it if it made their day, right? If it made their day? You would love it if people are listening to this podcast. And it encouraged them. Encouraged them. You would love that. Well, we were in the glass box Sunday and I was telling you about this Michael Gunger conversation and you were amongst friends and you just went for it. You were like, you made beautiful things and you just started singing. You care for the people that are listening to this podcast. <laughs> Why don't I you am, do it again for Josh and I? I care about these people so much. Count of three. I am not One, going to sing for two. them. <laughs> <laughs> that really, that, That's pretty good. That's that re- a good setup. Yeah, really. <laughs> that really is crazy. I would have thought that you must have felt close to everybody across the street in the yeah. glass box. Yeah. Well, we hang out in that glass box right. for hours on Sunday. You guys are all my friends. Yeah. Josh, I'm going to ask you a question that I asked Josh Walters two weeks ago. When it comes to these couple of conversations, this this one with Michael Gunger being the second one, former Christians, before we started this podcast, did you have in mind these sorts of conversations, actually talking to people that don't believe anymore? Was that a part of your your vision? I don't know that it was part of my vision, but I, I wouldn't have been opposed to it because I think that, you know, it's it's good to learn from people who have gone down a road that uh, I hope that our listeners don't go down. And I think it's helpful to learn from them. But no, this is more Joey's vision than mine. <laughs> <laughs> Well, just so everybody so send knows. send your concerns to Joey Svensson at Seacoast. <laughs> That's right. I did approve it, but it was Joey's idea. <laughs> when Michael Gunger talks about, it's it really is crazy because I've known him for a long time and I can't really imagine him in evangelical Christian situations like this. I think he said that they got their really big break at Catalyst. I'll tell y'all a story. This was my first experience of a Christian conference. And y'all know how I'm wired up. I mean, I don't, I'm kind of like, why, why all the bells and whistles? But I, I'd never experienced this level of bells and whistles. Sitting in the chair, don't really know what to expect. Worship starts and it was so theatrical. The screens, the lights, the smoke, the everything. I was in culture shock. And now I'm a little more balanced, but it actually burdened me at the time to the point of tears. And I left and called Priscilla and I was like, what is happening? <laughs> but, well, see, I have a question for you though, yeah. about that. So you were in a band back in the day. Right. Uh, and the band, we could bleep that out too, but it was Emery. And right. they toured a good bit. I but, played one show with Emery. Well, though. but you were, you're a big music guy and, and you a fan of music and all of that. But I assume they would have the some of the lights and the bells and whistles and all of that stuff. But and they're so, not leading worship. I know, but I just I just question, because uh, I, I think I'm genuinely interested. I think our worship team has told us before, like, hey, we don't want our faces, our live video, iMac is what we call it, on the screens during worship. We really want people to just be focused on God. And I went in a few weeks ago and sat in the very top of our worship center in Mount Pleasant, and we don't have their faces on anymore. It's just the lyrics on the screen. And for me, I felt like not being able to see them and their expressions maybe was a limiter for me. Like I think for people, especially that don't know the songs or don't know, like to see somebody modeling worship. So I get that there's always these questions about what's too much and what's not enough. But I just wonder what's the disconnect and and why for you was that so repulsive? When I know you appreciate a great, you know, concert, and maybe even just right. me asking that is is hard for you to hear because it's not a concert, but yeah. it's you know. Yeah, I guess I see a big difference. Like I, I see myself at a at a concert. I am supposed to be a consumer, right? And so, be impressed. So they are gearing things for me to enjoy. I don't need to be a consumer in in that predicament mm-hmm. of a conference, and I feel that's how I'm being treated. It's like I just. 
I thought this was worship time. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying that other people aren't worshiping, and I'm not even saying that I haven't learned how to worship in those scenarios. I'm just saying at the time, I was like, I, I don't I don't need all this. Yeah. Like, I don't. Well, and there have been times in worship that I have been deep in a moment with God with my eyes closed, hands raised, and open my eyes, and there's like a camera person right there. Or, and, <laughs> and it does kind of like, oh, you know, and, and they're doing their their job. They're actually helping to bring, we do church online, and they're helping to bring the experience kind of to life on the screen. But, but I definitely think there are moments that I'm like, is this what we want? Right. Uh, you know, cause then you're, then you're trying to worship, but you're also aware of what you want to look oh, like yeah. on screen. Oh, yeah. So I should probably have my hands up right now. You, you know, like you, you kind of get in your own head with stuff. Like a, as a, as a fellow sports fan, sorry, Lynn, when you see, I don't like sports. Well, you don't watch it. <laughs> you don't watch it. When you see the wired up stuff, like this person's wired up and then you listen to them. I hate it because if they know they're wired up, you know that they're not talking how they normally would talk to their teammates. They're, you know, you hear them like encouraging one another. Maybe they do that when they're not wired up. Maybe not. Yeah. I yeah. think they should sneak a wire. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. Trevor Lawrence does not know he's wired up right now. <laughs> that may not work out well in, in many uh, situations. Do y'all like this conversation with Michael Gonger? Do you enjoy it, Lynn? I did. Yeah. My, I, I think something that really bothers me just to kick things off is now people didn't know Michael and his wife was going through a super difficult time. They just heard his doubts uh, being expressed specifically Noah's Ark and the flood doubting the veracity of that actually happening as a, as a historical event. Well, churches start canceling the shows. So these are Christian venues. I would imagine some of them are churches. Some of them are just regular venues, but they're they're canceling the shows. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, I understand that maybe it hurts when someone you really love or admire their art isn't going down the same path that you are or doesn't seem like, but what's the best angle of love in every situation? That's what I think that we should should see. Every situation, what's the best angle of love? Wouldn't it have been a great sign of love to basically say, hey, we hate that he's going this direction, makes us sad, but we also don't want him to starve. This is his livelihood. So let's not cancel the shows. Let's go. Let's enjoy the music. May not be as awesome as we thought it would be now knowing that his beliefs are, are shifting, but let's still support good music. I mean, you. Uh, uh, I think it's tricky. And honestly, it probably speaks to not just his situation, but really anybody who makes their livelihood in a role that's directly connected to their faith. Yeah. I think is it's just tricky. You know, the reason that church booked him was that they probably sensed an alignment of values and sensed, you know, that this is somebody who is going to, they're going to platform him, platform him. And I think that you want to ask what would loving him look like, but also what does loving everybody else mm -hmm. look like? And by putting him on a platform, you're essentially endorsing at least to some capacity who he is and what he's doing. And so I'm sure there are ways to figure it out, but I don't know that I see it as a, a black and white thing. Um, but I also think as a person who does make my living in a direct connection to my faith, maybe there should have been a, a more private uh, wrestling through some of those things. And there probably was before he got to a point of talking about it publicly. But I just, I think it's tricky. I don't know. What do you think, Lynn? Yeah, I think it's tricky too. I think that even saying what was the most loving thing is assuming that they didn't consider what the most loving thing was sure. and weighing like, who they had, whether it was a church or an organization or a venue or a promoter, whoever was in charge of the concert, they have a responsibility to the people who are coming. We are asking that question kind of makes the assumption that they didn't consider it, but there are more things to consider than just him and his family. You ha also have to consider the people who were coming. But to your point, Pastor Josh, about having a private conversation, even if they had decided to cancel it, having a conversation with him, and I, it, from the conversation, it didn't sound like that happened. That could have been an option. Um, but just to assume that canceling it wasn't loving, I think it's more nuanced than that because it wasn't just about him and his family. Like there are more people involved. And like you said, regardless of whether you agree with somebody's beliefs or not, when you put someone on a platform, people are going to follow them. When I go to a concert or a comedy show or a speaker comes to church and I don't follow them on social media, I start following them after I've heard them. And so to some degree, anyone that you're putting in front of people is going to have influence in their life. So you have to ask the question like, what is loving when I'm stewarding the influence that I'm 
putting in front of yeah. people. Yeah. yeah. And I also would wonder, like, because I don't, I, I really don't know the story very well, other than what I heard you guys talk about. I don't really know the depths of it, but I, I heard something about him not believing that Noah and the ark really happened literally. And I think that was a piece of it. And, but, but I just think that everybody probably has their own threshold of yeah. what's okay or what's not. And I mean, like for me, if I had a, a musician coming in to do something and they, were on the fence about whether parts of the Old Testament were biblical or allegory. I know what I believe on it. I, I, I think they were tr true things that happened, but that wouldn't be like a threshold for me that's like, oh, I can't. But if it was like core fundamentals of our faith, you know, the gospel, like my threshold might be different than whoever canceled him, or maybe he was actually deeply wrestling with a lot more than that. Yeah. But, Do you think it would be something as simple as just acknowledging the situation? Like, hey, we, we, we booked Michael Gunger. We love this guy. Y'all may have heard in blogs, because that's probably how people found out back in the day. Y'all may have heard that his face, faith is, is shifting a little bit. And we can talk more about that if you want. But right now, just, you know, kind of just yeah. calling it what it is. Sure. But you, I guess y'all's concern are people whose faith hasn't advanced to a point where there's kind of like a firm foundation. Well, I think it's anyone. Yeah. So even if you have a firm foundation, being able to wrestle through, how do I, because that isn't that our walk, like we're walking out our faith and we're dealing with people who we're loving people who don't agree with us, who don't have the same um, opinions as us. And we learn to do that in community. Right. We learn to do like the church teaches us and models. How do we walk that out? And I don't feel like you could do that at a at a concert. Right. I don't know. This is just my opinion yeah. of like, yeah, you can. That's certainly an option. You can acknowledge it. But then what's the next step in for the people who have questions for wrestling with? OK, well, what do we do when this is a worship concert, but this person may not be? And I'm not saying for him sure. he wasn't worshiping, but if this is what we thought it was and now this isn't what it is, do we still do it? I don't know. I think that there's a, a larger conversation to yep. how do you how do you have those conversations? And if you can't do it, then what's your next step? Yeah, well, and he even references on the episode that you guys are going to hear uh, his attitude about a bullhorn preacher and how actually he's not appalled by that because of, and I'll let him tell his story, but I just think about the the host of the concert. If they genuinely believed that at at best uh, he was an errant in, in his beliefs and kind of uh, bringing people along with him in a dangerous direction, or at worst, a false prophet, say, and I don't think that's what he was accused of, that maybe the most loving thing for them based on their perspective of where he was, was to cancel the show. And, you know, you Again, I don't know what was in their heads, but I just think that I think that in our culture today, everybody wants to define love as maybe the nicest thing, but sometimes love looks harder than that mm -hmm. or more confrontational than that. And uh, and yeah. again, it's hard for me to speak into his sure. situation because I wasn't there and don't know much about it. But. Yeah, that makes sense. I mentioned to Michael that I thought churches feel less threatened nowadays about doubt. I'm not saying that we celebrate doubt, but I do feel, and and I've been at Seacoast now for a very long time, so maybe I don't have the context to speak this way, but it just seems like in general out there on the internet, doubt is something that we manage a little bit better, that we receive a little bit better and recognize there's conversations that are needed. Do y'all think that as a whole, the church? Out there on the internet? No. No. <laughs> I don't like what I see on the internet and maybe the algorithm is feeding me things. To be fair, my context for the church is the church that I grew up in in Seacoast. So, and and I feel like in, in, in our local expression of the church, yes, there is more tolerance for doubt. I don't see that. I didn't see that in the church I grew up in and I don't see that out on the internet. Yeah, it is interesting because I, I, I would agree with you in a sense, Joey. There's less of a, a belief out there that there is a truth and that's what you should pursue. I feel like the value though, to me is more of if I'm loud and I'm confident, then I'm going to get shared and people are going to follow me, even if I'm dead wrong. And it's been proven by unbiased sources that I'm dead wrong. I feel like our culture values loud, brash, confident, and 
if you're not that, then humility or questioning or having concerns or doubts in some ways, I think, is less value than it used to be. But in terms of in the church, I think that the church will lose the ear of our culture if we don't acknowledge doubt and walk with people through it. Do you, I think do we'll you eventually think it, lose. Yeah. Do you think it's safe to say that it's part of the Christian journey? Sure. Yeah. Most pastors that I've heard readily admit there are times when I'm just like, I don't know what I believe. And and it's typically short-lived if they're still a pastor, but it just feels like if faith is the connection point between us and the God that we serve, then that would have to mean either you have perfect faith all the time or you doubt sometimes. Yeah. The God that's unseen. Right. Uh, the, yeah, the, yeah. Yeah. So, um, I mean, we're finite human beings right. seeking an infinite God. Yeah. And I mean, I think about the dad that said, hey, help me in my unbelief. Uh, right. Obviously, we took, call him Doubting Thomas, but um, I'm not going to believe until I see. I think that everybody does. My daughter the other day asked me, uh, we were going to bed, and she has a strong faith, and she's been baptized, and she, we talk about it a lot. But she was like, Dad, do you ever doubt this stuff? And I mean, there were two ways to approach that. I could have said, no, right. never. But then I'm gonna, then she's going to feel even worse about herself for having questions. And so I'm like, I'm just going to be honest. Yeah. There, there have been times through the years that I've, I've doubted. And, um, and here's some of the questions, you know, one of the things I try to teach her, not that this is what this is about, but just as much as we doubt our faith, sometimes we have to also doubt our doubts. And uh, so just ask questions mm-hmm. about the doubts that we have, which will, I think, ultimately lead us to the truth. And yeah. so I don't think God's threatened by him for sure. Yeah. I was talking to Pastor Greg recording some content that people will actually hear in this podcast, but it'll be later on in the year. And it really was a neat moment because he started to break down what his faith is based on. And as he was saying, like, I'm thinking, is he really going to say what I think he's going to say? And I say that because I feel this is something that God laid on my heart maybe 12 years ago when maybe I was confronted with some actual doubt. Basically, what he said is the two things that his faith is based on is A, there's a God. It's just something that his heart gravitates towards. And I truly believe that too. The other options don't make as much sense. The second piece is Jesus rose from the dead. There's a resurrection. Outside of that, I'm not saying that he says isn't important, but those are the two bedrocks. And I feel like that is the two, that's something that I've concentrated on. So I was thinking maybe that's the Holy Spirit helping people. <laughs> but what's cool about that is what you're doing is simplify because doubt can often lead us to like a spider web of of questions. And again, all of them are okay. But I think if you can kind of go for me, what is the the baseline, um, th- then it at least simplifies and helps you get back to, okay, I believe this and I believe this. And so I can work from that foundation to explore all of these other questions. Yeah. I'm curious. We We all know people, Christians, they lose their faith. It happens like it's some, you know, big time names. We've read about them. We have also a belief in a, in a good loving God. What do you guys think a good response is? I don't think fear is necessarily a good response when someone else loses their faith. For us to the person that we know who loses their faith. I don't know that I would even go to scared for them. And I think that comes from my experience and not from someone who loses their faith, but anyone who we would say don't, you know, anyone who doesn't believe, um, whether they believed and lost their faith or whether that they, you don't know that they've ever made a profession of faith. I think it's just like concern, but I can trust my God loves them more than I do. And that's kind of how I got to that place after my brother died. Like he died before I was a believer. And so I really wrestled with like, am I going to see him again? And for years I wrestled with that. And I started having dreams. And like one day I woke up with peace and I had this crazy dream that about one of my brother's really good friends. And then I woke up the next day and I started thinking about his friend group and immediately a conversation that I had had with a different friend in that same group came back to me. And it was like years before my brother passed, years before I was a believer, where we I was in the car with one of his friends and I said something about God. He went off on a tirade about how like my brother, you and your brother always talking about God, God doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. And I like had forgotten that. And so it was just like from that moment on, I just had this peace that I was like, oh, God was so sweet to like 
remind me of something that I'd forgotten that I don't know what he's doing. You know, like I don't know what he did with my brother in his final moments. And I can just trust that he loved him more than I did. Mm -hmm. And so I think the same way with someone who believed and lost their faith or walked away I don't we don't I don't think we have to fear it. I think we can trust God in that because he doesn't wish for any to perish and he loves them more than we do. And so I think when we see it, it can be sad for us, but we know that that anyone who's far from God it grieves his heart more than it grieves ours. Yeah. Like having the peace to trust him with that and to take that with him is a better response yeah. than to fear. That's really, really good stuff. And you kind of snuck up on us with some emotional stuff. That's kind of like an emotional sucker punch. We weren't ready for that. Yeah, I wasn't I didn't, ready. To, I didn't know yeah. that was coming either. But. Awesome. I do appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. I love what Michael said about, you You mentioned it already, but this to me is a perfect example of the silly notion of Christians not being able to learn from someone who's not a Christian. I think what he said about not having any disgust towards people that 15 years ago he would have written off as like bad people is super timely to today's culture. I think that's something that we all need to learn. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For me, part of why I love the conversation that people are going to listen to next is because it's just really easy to hate people or misunderstand people from afar. And part of why I love the podcast is that we're able to have conversations and, you know, yeah. wh- what is it like to, or what's my attitude towards someone who's lost the faith? Probably different than it would have been had I not listened to the conversation that you and, and Michael just had. And I think it gives me a sense of compassion and even a sense of sorrow for maybe how Christians have treated people. I think a lot of times people are not rejecting their faith as much as they're rejecting the maybe the culture of Christianity that they grew up in. And so hopefully it helps us to ask ourselves, is there anything I'm doing or is there a way that I'm acting uh, as my pride maybe becoming a barrier for some people, but then to have compassion. And like Lynn said, I mean, she said it so well, like believe and trust that God loves them more than we do. And I think sometimes we want to try to control it. Like we forget that we aren't him. And, and so we want to like do everything we can to stop this thing from happening. And sometimes people need to go down these roads and hopefully lead them back to a place of, of understanding a God who loves them desperately and wants to communicate with them and love them and have a relationship with them. And, yeah. But at the end of the day, we can only do our part and right. ask God, what is our part in this story? Yeah. All right. So somebody comes to you and they say, hey, we're cutting down. You got to let Lynn or Joey go. You decide. <laughs> I'm sorry, Joey. Well, yeah. I mean, and honestly, <laughs> it's been a over. good, uh, it's been a good run, Joey. <laughs> When's the last time you've gotten to talk to a bunch of Christians? <laughs> uh, I mean, there's still there's still Christians that you know follow me around sometimes. <laughs> uh, it was just at a there were a couple churches on this yeah. tour, yeah, and saw some nice. It was in some nice. Spaces. That is cool. Yeah. That is cool. So, just kind of a a snapshot. It's crazy. I did some digging, and and I want to get to this a little bit later. But the the first time I talked to you on a podcast was April the eleventh, two thousand fourteen. <laughs> is that not oh, crazy? <laughs> that is crazy. I want to get wow. to that because that was a crazy time. Because you yeah. know, me and my co host, we were talking to you and had no idea the personal turmoil that you guys were going through. But before we get into that. What kind of the family set up? How old are your kids? Where you guys live in? Give us a little little quick snapshot there. Well, funny enough, that's like the most difficult question to answer right now. It's like we just moved out of our house in LA and we're not sure where we're going to be. Yeah. Actually, right now we're in Nevada City checking it out and it's beautiful, the forest. And um, But we might stay in LA. We might. I'm not sure. But Now, how old are your kids? Nine and 13. Nine and 13. Gotcha. All right. Almost, almost so before 13. we get yeah. into nine, yeah, let's have a little music fun real quick before we dive into some more serious stuff. And so you just have to say what comes first to your mind. Think about it if you want to, but don't feel any pressure. So first question, Van Halen or David Bowie? David Bowie. All right. This is, you're going to get a, a tickle out of this. Keith Green, cheesy Christian music or legendary? Ooh. <laughs> both? both 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 you know what i i think i agree with you i think i agree with you all right taylor swift or billy eilish eilish 
all day. Marvin Gaye or James Taylor? Mm, Marvin Gaye, actually. Radiohead or Weezer? Radiohead. All right. All right. Awesome. Hey, I think I've expressed this before, but there aren't too many bands, music makers like yourself, where the first word that comes to mind is is beautiful. beautiful beautiful music you you and your wife i really really mean that sincerely let's go back in time a little bit for our listeners that there's probably a lot of people listening that that know a, a lot of this already but just a little bit of your upbringing as far as your family and how you were raised as far as religion is concerned yeah um i was raised a uh, non-denominational Christian, kind of charismatic. My dad is a pastor. Now he's a bishop in the, I forget the denomination. It's still kind of evangelical, but was raised, you know, went to Christian school and even Christian college my freshman year. So studied lots of Bible and lots of, I was very, very religious for those, mm-hmm. for the first, you know, 28 years of my life. And yeah, then became like a worship leader and began to travel. And the, but in high school is when the questions started popping up for me. But uh, really, yeah. But there was no yeah yeah communal way to talk about those things. It just that's that's when I the the deconstruction, if you will, started for me. Yeah, and I, I would imagine. What you mean by that is probably no safe outlets as far as like people that you can talk to that wouldn't be like, whoa, ease up, Michael. Come on now. You can't ask those kind of questions. Right. It wasn't. Yeah. yeah any any of the questions that felt like it would have put my social standing at risk and professional and you know everything. Right. If if you started asking the questions in, in high school, you started off as kind of a solo musician. Were you kind of known as Michael Gunger, and then that turned into Gunger? Is mm-hmm. am I correct? So Michael Gunger band first, and then Gunger. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Michael Gunger, Michael Gunger band. Is that right out of high school sort of thing? Well, first I did like an instrumental Michael Gunger record in high school, and then a, a worship record, a couple worship records with my church, uh, like the. 18 years old-ish. And then my first record with my new church that I took a job at when I was 20 got signed with Integrity. And that was sort of my first uh, public project or whatever that was distributed yeah. anywhere. Yeah. And so Michael Gunger Band, was was Lisa a part of that? Were you guys already together? Yep. Gotcha. You guys are known all around the world. Uh, people still singing your music in churches. When did it hit you like, oh my gosh, like this, this is happening. Like this is a really big deal. We're really doing something pretty big here. It was funny. There was like, it was gradual, 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 but there definitely was a sort of a a tipping point moment where it was like, whoa, all of a sudden the gigs have gotten bigger and the money has gotten bigger on the, the dates. It was like a, the specific tipping point date was actually Catalyst Conference. We did that. And then the Passion Conference happened and the it was just a bunch of things right in a row that was all like, and then all of a sudden there was like a bunch of movement. That is so intriguing because the question started bef- before that. Were you in a place to where faith-wise 
deep down inside, you felt like, ah, I'm still on the right track, so I'm just going to push through. I'm pretty sure I know what I believe and I fit into all of this. You've always been an authentic person. So I'd be shocked if you felt like you were portraying somebody that you weren't. Like, what was going on inside? I mean, there were definitely questions already, but I was thinking about the questions. Yeah. It was funny because I, I felt like, you know, Beautiful Things is like our biggest song as mm. Gunger. And it starts with like, all this pain and then <laughs> and all this doubt, all this like, and I, I don't know, it felt like uh, people were kind of like, yeah, yeah, doubt <laughs> until they found out I was serious. <laughs> until they found out you were serious. Like, no, I wasn't. It wasn't like a metaphor or something. Oh, man, that's funny. That's funny. That's like, yeah, I, we just thought you were being very artistic, man. Uh, you really are doubting, huh? <laughs> Which is such a shame, man, because we we all have doubts. Holy cow, man. That's, yeah. that's, that's yeah. crazy. I, this has got to be a, a, a tough question to answer, I'd imagine, because it's just been so long ago. But we're older men now. And so, I mean, we're, we're literally speaking of your youth. I mean, what was your main motivation in those early days? I mean, was it creating beautiful music, making an income, I mean, bringing God's name glory? Like, what was your main motivation? Yeah, um, I, I'd say, yeah, it was It was always, well, it's in, it's interesting asking that question post a lot of therapy, because what I thought I was doing, there were under layers to it. Yeah. Um, what I thought I was doing consciously was, yeah, bringing glory to God. Um, and then that became a little more sophisticated. At first, it was like, we need to there was like, I was into worship evangelism for a while. That was like, this is how we get people to know Jesus is like, we, we introduce them to the presence of God through worship. And that was the thing through Sally Morgenthaler was this person who wrote about that. And, and then it became a little, I got into Dallas Willard and, and then N.T. Wright and was into like, oh, it's not, it doesn't have to be just Jesus language for that to happen, like for the glory of God. It can be just beautiful music. And that was kind of when Gunger, in that switch is when I was really into, when I went from Michael Gunger band to Gunger, that was really more like, oh, the the actual aesthetics, and even the name change was kind of a reflection of, I didn't really like the aesthetic of Michael Gunger band. It felt like a a default thing that happened. And I was like, I want to be more intentional with all the aesthetics of everything. And that's part of how we give God glory and how the kingdom of God comes to the world. And so, yeah, bringing the kingdom of God to earth yeah, but now I would also insert some psychology to that and some like, I was also trying to be approved of. <laughs> and I was trying to uh, feel safe. And that was how I found value, my ego found value culturally and, and sociologically by creating music that was Christian. It, it checked a bunch of boxes for my, my social place. And my yeah. my ego's yeah. validity and value, but I didn't know I didn't know that. Yeah. So you and I talked for the first time. We were just wanting to hear your story because I, I'm pretty sure you expressed some pretty firm disbelief in the the literal Noah's ark and flood story and all hell literally broke loose when it came to the christian music industry as well as just christians in general and and how they reacted and that's kind of what we were wanting to get to the bottom of it but man it broke my heart because as we were talking to you about just how abrasive christians were being towards you guys Y'all's personal lives were imploding at the time, if I remember correctly. It, it, weren't y'all going through some pretty tough things behind the scenes as well? Yeah. Was April? It was. Well, I mean, Lucy was born in May. There was some pregnancy kind of complications. I don't remember if they were happening in April. It's such old material, then maybe what I looked up is a little bit off. It so. may, have been, may have been August. Okay. that Yeah, that's probably right then. Because she was born. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Because I remember also being at my parents' lake house, which was what we go in the summer. And yeah, so she was born. It must have been August, and because uh, she was born in May, and uh, she had she has Down syndrome, and she had some heart defects. She had to have surgery, and we had had some falling out with our church from the lead pastor, who also had decided that I was too heretical, and that was all happening at the same time as the Noah's Ark 
stuff online stuff and gigs were canceling and it was yeah it was a show it was crazy yeah what was the most surprising part of the sort of treatment that you received from the Mm. christian fam so to speak i don't know if i'd say surprising i'd been you know part of the church and not just the church but the back scenes of the church my whole life so i've i've seen how the how the sausage gets made if you will Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess it wasn't that surprising. Probably the biggest bummer for me was even people that I knew didn't care about something like how I interpret Genesis, the silence from them, or just like I'd get a text, but not anything public of support. Uh, wow. um, and that was painful more on a wow. personal just level it's like yeah i i hear you and support you and actually feel the same way i'm sorry you're going through this but nope nobody's saying anything publicly and i get why yeah were any of those relationships close enough to for you to be like hey man i really appreciate but why why wouldn't you get my back publicly or didn't go there i didn't go there yeah i may go there i may have done that now i was not in the place to do that sure yeah Personally, I've talked to a lot of folks who would no longer consider themselves Christians, and they're pretty blunt that the the catalyst of it was how they felt treated once they did something unacceptable or said something unacceptable, and that being treated in that way not only drove them away from the church, but also drove them away from God. How would you, when it comes to your personal journey with faith, like, do you think it maybe sped the process of deconstruction? Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to, not of deconstruction, but maybe Mm -hmm. a desire to be associated with church, probably. I don't don't think my beliefs, it wasn't like my beliefs about God were really affected because I I didn't, I wasn't like, my beliefs about God weren't dependent on if God is real, then Christians should be nice to me. Right. (laughs) Uh, uh, But is church a value in the world? And how much do I want to give my life to church? I'm sure it was affected. And it's been lovely. Even the last couple of years, I know there are churches who are very open and have plenty of room for people who don't believe any specific line item in a certain way like them. And that's beautiful. And that's been healing too. In the aftermath of all that, that's not, those aren't the churches I was primarily playing in or invited to before, but now they are. <laughs> Any church that would mm-hmm. have me now is tends to be a very open-handed kind of yeah. place. So I know, I know they exist. There's, there's, there's lots of them, but yeah, at the time, like I, I wasn't seeing them. Sure. I was thinking about the, the different, I mean, we're, we're talking a decade ago and I don't have all this perfectly straight in my head, but I would imagine voices like uh, Rachel Held Evans, for instance, were probably just getting cooking back then. And obviously yep. uh, not, not uh, welcoming voices to a lot of people who would, would say, well, well, she's a heretic. But over the years, people like her have uh, warmed the waters of having more discussions at the very least. Had all of this happened in 2023, I bet you it would have checked out a little bit differently. Yeah. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, just kind of how the climate has oh, changed yeah. a little bit? For sure. Yeah, I don't think Noah would be a thing. You, you spoke too soon, Michael. You spoke too soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was not a thing. When, when I was talking about doubting God, there was I found no spaces. Gosh, that that's nuts. No room for like loving God and doubting as both values. Like that wasn't, I never, I didn't find it. Gosh. In my surface assessment, I'd say most evangelical churches now embrace doubt as just a real thing that we have to process. I mean, I'm sure there's some that don't. Gosh, that's crazy. Because yeah, I mean, that makes sense. I I guess I'm not shocked, but it still is a surprising thought that you couldn't find any spaces where the two were welcome. That's nuts. That's really beautiful to hear, actually, because I I feel blessed and, and lucky that my work has been part of that conversation, like the Liturgist podcast and all that. 
uh, I meet people all the time who are like, that was the beginning of a conversation that changed something either for them personally or their community. Or And so to hear that like doubt has become more mainstream in the Christian organizations and stuff, I, I love that. Yeah, like happy to have been the part of the blood that was sure. shed sure. to, to uh, sure. To necessitate that conversation. Yeah, for sure. And again, maybe it's an overstatement. I don't think it is. I, I have been a part of Seacoast Church now for over 20 years. I know the culture that we have where those those conversations are welcome. But yeah, it does it does seem to be more of a common acceptance. So just because of the mental turmoil I've gone through and uh, just how therapy has helped me so much. And then I, I look back on Joey just seven years ago. And I'm like, man, I'm totally, totally different person. I mean, it's a tough question to process, I'd imagine. But like, think about Michael Gunger of 2014 and all the stuff that you were encountering and having to work through that sort of heartache. Michael Gunger of 2023 would have been just as hurtful, but could you uh, imagine how you would have handled it now personally, not necessarily from a public standpoint, but would it have been easier in any ways? Oh, for sure. Can you pinpoint how? Uh Almost like it's easier for a corpse to go through surgery than a <laughs> yeah. It's like that. Those parts of those parts of me that were seeking um, for the church's approval and all of that. Those have had to die. Gotcha. Long agonizing deaths. But yeah, it was funny. Like the last one of the last shows I did a couple of weeks ago, like somebody came up and gave me a note that was like, or they actually handed it through the opening act. They're like, "Here's a give this to Michael, but don't read it." And then the note was like, you know, you've you've lost yourself in others. Come back to me, and I'll bless you, your father, or whatever. You know, it was like a passive aggressive reprimand. Right. And and then the the opening artist was like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. And then later that night, afterwards, one of the other band members from that band was like, I'm so sorry about the note. And I was like, the note? What are you talking about? Like the note that she. But and I was like, oh, I forgot about it. Like, I don't. I don't care. Uh, so yeah, it would feel different, but it's like once you experience, I don't know, it's, it's almost similar to uh, being embarrassed on stage. Like when I first started performing, it was like any mistake, I was horrified. So, and then after after you make a number of mistakes and you live to tell the tales, it's like, yeah, it's fine. Who cares? Yeah. <laughs> there's going to yeah. be, was, at this point, it's like, yeah, of course, there's going to be people who are upset and think I should be different than I am. And right. That's fine. Right. That's part. That's part of their journey. You know, speak on this. I, I've actually watched you from afar. Specifically, there was a a big Twitter flare up, and I just really appreciated how. I don't know if it's important for our listeners, but I think on the Liturgist podcast, you addressed the uh, life experience of of people who are obese, and uh-huh. yeah, I think you played different clips from different people who had that life experience, but then maybe the bulk of the episode was with a therapist who wasn't obese and you caught fire from people saying, you know, how in the world would you spend so much time talking to someone who doesn't have our life experience? And so just how you carried yourself, you were very resolute in love and trying to learn and trying to understand, but you also stood your ground with... I'm not going to say what you want me to say, man. I was reading these comments and I don't (laughs) think people would have been happy unless you would have said, I am a horrible person for doing that. I'm disgusted with myself. I I hate myself. I wish I could take it back. I should probably (laughs) quit my podcast and maybe never make a public appearance again. Like I think that's the only way people would have been happy. And I usually don't do this, but I asked someone a question who had commented and I said, I, I'm just trying to understand, you know, what what exactly is so upsetting. I had lined up an interview for another podcast I was doing. And this person who I had lined up saw that comment and basically messaged me and said, if you can't see how jacked up Michael Gunger is in what wow. he's saying, I don't feel comfortable in coming on your podcast. I'm like, what? How do you wade the waters of having deep convictions, strong beliefs, and then also being 
civil and loving to those who see important matters to you very differently? Mm. Yeah. I mean, for me, I I think the most important thing to see is it's simple, but for some reason it's very difficult for most people to see. Yeah. I think the most important thing is not complicated, but it's for some reason very difficult for most people to see, which is that I'm seeing from a place and that, that, (laughs) you know, there's this old Hindu proverb about all these people, all these blind people standing around an elephant, touching the elephant and uh, describing what they're feeling. You know, some people it's like, well, it's, it's got very rough skin and, and it's got hair on it. Somebody else is touching a tusk and like, no, it's smooth and hard. And, uh, you know, everybody's feeling something different. And to notice that my beliefs and what my convictions are coming from a place. They're coming from my life experience. You know, when I talk about God, I'm talking about the finite amount of interactions that I've had where other people use that word and they meant something by it. And I understood something by it. And I have an idea of what I mean by God. For me, God might mean love. For somebody else, what they hear in God is actually the opposite of love. Just sort of self-existential humility of like, I can't actually know anything other than through this brain. I can't see anything but through these eyeballs. And that gives you a little bit of humility to be like, somebody else seeing through different eyeballs with a different brain and different memories and different life experience and different traumas. We can't even have the same conversation because we don't even... I can't, I don't know what they're perceiving. So having that level of humility, I think can allow me to have my convictions, but to understand that those are mine and having the humility to be like, when you say that, what does that mean to you? You know, like we might actually disagree, but where is that? Where, where is it exactly that we disagree rather than be like, you say these words, so you're the bad guy. And I think that's what most of us do. We get lazy with our arguments with each other. It's on Twitter or whatever. It's like, Oh, you you're using the buzzwords from that camp and I'm using the ones from this camp and you're the bad guys and we're the good guys. And it just gets so basic and broad brushed that we lose the ability to actually like be curious about each other. Oh, you speak in this way. Why is that? What, what's alive for you? I actually think we probably disagree on less than we think we do. Most of us. Guy at our church, we were just talking about this yesterday and he was like, you know, there's so many Christians who are like, we need to get back to the truth about God. And Jack was like, it's a good thing within the church. We don't see God all the same way, he said, because exactly what you said, we're finite. God is infinite. And when we have discussions and actually disagree, there's a very good chance that we'll learn from someone else who sees things that we don't see. I mean, how can that not make sense to people that we are all finite? And so we're probably going to even see various truths about God that other people can't see. You know, this whole, we all have to see everything exactly the same way, even within the church doesn't make sense. Do you find yourself, uh, Michael Gunger here in 2023, getting uh, appalled at people? No. I I actually, strange, I've had some friends that like were walking around, who was I, I can't remember, I was with somebody recently, we walked around, there was a Christian with uh, the bullhorn on the street, just screaming at people about how they're going to hell. And they're like, all right, can you help me here? Can you show me the... Tell them, where's the love here? They couldn't find the love. And I was like, oh, well, that's easy. This guy is, first, he's loving himself by trying to take, he's been, he believes that if he doesn't tell people the truth in his mind, that he's in trouble. Like he's going to be judged for not telling the truth. So he's, first of all, like self-preservation and self-care. So there's some love in that, that he's actually, yeah, it's fearful and it uh, ends up being violent in ways. But at the bottom of it, he's trying to take care of himself. And there might even actually be some true empathy that he actually believes what he's saying on some level, that people are going to be in trouble if they don't believe what he has to say. And so if you believe that, that's the only loving thing to possibly do is to scream at them and tell them to, <laughs> to change and repent because they're, they're in the same way that somebody was walking into sure. oncoming traffic and be like, stop, what are you doing? I see the love in literally all, everyone, everyone as violent, the people fighting wars and and on Twitter screaming at each other to, to the people that were canceling me for not having the Bible right. It's love. There's love at the bottom of that. It's an awful lot of fear. 
and judgment mixed in it. But yeah, I'm not, I'm not appalled. I'm actually kind of consistently moved by, I was on the freeway the other day, just driving and just seeing all these like boxed in cars and the lines and the boxes. And, and you can look at that as in any number of different ways. You'd be like, look at how we're all separate from each other on these cars. But I was really feeling this kind of beautiful, everybody is like taking care of themselves. And in a way that's how everybody be everybody and everything being sort of the center of the universe for itself. Like everybody being like, Whoa, I need this. I need this. Every tree being like, I need that sunlight and growing that way. And even like stomping over the other, other trees, let pushing the other root systems out of the way to get the water that it needs in a way. That's how the universe loves itself or God loves everything like locally specifically. And everybody doing that on the freeway, everybody taking care of themselves and being selfish in a way. The result of that is somehow we build cars for each other and roads for each other. Somehow, even in the selfishness, we take care of each other. There's like, they go together. They're not so binary. It's not like selfish or caring for each other. Somehow it's all wound together as life. And yeah, there's ugly parts of it. There's scary parts of it. There's parts where I get my feelings hurt. And where I wish somebody would have said something kinder, but I, I no longer am appalled at the foundation of it. I used to be like, well, you're a bad person, or uh, I used to put it in a binary, the good and the yeah. bad. And, and to me, I think it's the crux of our problem. And that is we see people as either good or evil. And if you're evil, stay away from me. Yeah. I can't learn anything from you. And I don't want to know your life story. I don't want to know how you got there. Right. Just stay away because you're bad. And nobody else should listen to you. And everybody else should hate you right. also. I don't care if it's your dad. <laughs> I actually saw Jay Baker being criticized by a progressive crowd for loving his dad. I'm like, are you kidding me? That's his freaking dad. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Oh, man. And that's where, that's where the, like, going back to the therapy thing, I think I, w- I wish more of us would dig into some of these things more because it's never actually about jay and his dad or it's never actually about my view of genesis or or my inclusion of fat people on an episode about fatness that's not what it's actually about (laughs) there's deeper stuff going on where it's like i'm not okay with who i am and i need you to be a certain projection for me to ignore that fact it's always the skeletons in there like that person who's mad at jay for his love of his dad there's no way there's not like some skeletons and trauma in that. I was listening to Gunger's archives and, you know, as, as Apple Music plays all the songs, it moves on to something else. And you may be like, Joey, where have you been? But I was introduced to the brilliance for the first time. And the song, Brother, I have been playing that song nonstop. <laughs> been playing that song nonstop because it feels like the theme song of my heart, like what I've been consumed with. Both of them were actually in my band for a while. And John okay. grew up at our house. David and John are best friends. So John has been like family almost for years. So it's John and John and David that are uh, the brilliance together. Love their music so much. I've got to get through all the material. I'm stuck on that one album right now. But is most of your family still in Christian circles? Like, have you broken your parents' hearts? Like, how does that all shake out? Uh, I feel like I did. And then it was interesting, like, say with my dad, like, it felt on my side of things, like, it was easier when I was in a really doubtful, like, I don't even know if God is real. That felt a little easier on our relationship than a few years ago when I was like, uh, coming back to Christian language in some ways, but from a totally different lens and feeling very comfortable with my speaking about Christ, but not from the exact same lens as him. That seemed harder sure. than when I was like, I don't know if any of this is true, which was odd to me because it's like, I, I finally have peace with this, but it was, you know, different lenses and definitions. But that's healed. Actually, this last year, I feel like has healed with him. It's actually been really good with my parents. My dad has done a lot of growing as well. He's He's really kind of gone the academic route. He's getting another master's right now at Harvard. And he's, uh, so his, 
I think his world has drastically gotten bigger. And then my yeah brother David is part of a church in New York. Lissa is a priest's wife in Tulsa. My brother Rob is the other kind of like black sheep in the family. <laughs> He's always been the the wild card. Uh, from a career standpoint, when it comes to your music, the whole market is just uh, it's a it's a completely different planet now. And I know that you have done well, you know, creating music independently. Uh, I guess from a financial standpoint, have you been able to get your career back to a place where it was, or was there a peak? back in those Christian Gunger days that you've never matched? And- yeah, no, definitely haven't been able to get back to what it was. And it is such a different landscape. It's so it, Maybe there's more people listening. I don't know. The streaming numbers seem to be pretty good. Like this new record we just released has had over a million streams so far. But then we did a tour and some of the nights, were, but like just a fraction of what people used to come, but I'm hearing that from a lot of different musicians too. So I don't know how much of it's just younger. I think some of it is. And then some of it's the changing. It's such a weird landscape we're in, like the kind of the middle class, if you will, of music. From what I'm hearing, nobody can sell tickets, but then the upper tiers, you can't buy a ticket. Like you sell thousand dollars for a stadium and it's sold out in five seconds. That's interesting. And, And surprising too. Yeah, You know, when I was in my always going to concert sort of days, like I, I took pride in finding those bands who they had a big enough following because they were so good, but everybody didn't know they weren't mainstream. That's, those are the kind of bands I wanted to check out. You know, the ones that weren't filling up the stadiums. That's interesting. Yeah, totally. You know, what's Michael Gunger's kryptonite? What, what can really get you down if you're not vigilant? It's hmm, a great question. Um it's weird because I feel it's I feel it more uh, energetically. It used to be like stories and thoughts that would go around like, oh, I'm not good or like loops of thoughts. Now it's more I just notice that I have like no energy. I'm just like, oh. <laughs> and so what 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 are the causes of those things? Anything that puts me in my head of trying to figure stuff out, yeah, that's my kryptonite. Where I'm like, I'm go- I'm gonna know this. I'm gonna understand this. I'm going to figure this out in my head. And then it puts me out of my body and I'm, I'm not paying attention to, oh, I just need some sleep right now. Or I, I just, just need you know, to eat a meal this week. Uh, yeah, or eat something healthy. And not, I've only eaten brownies this today or whatever. You know? how, how do you want to improve in life? Like if, if there were certain areas where you're just like, man, I want to get better. Did you just answer that question? Uh, let's see. Well, I mean, some practical yeah. things. I want to get better at Spanish. I want to get better at getting back to my guitar. I feel like my guitar and my relationship has suffered over the last several years because uh, that's one of my great loves yeah. in life is just playing my guitar and t- taking more time to do that. I want to get be- I would love to get better at certain kinds of play with my kids, especially my nine-year-old. Um, certain kinds of play are just sort of like the pretend... What, I, I'm immediately out of energy. I just, I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to like, here, let's play Barbies or whatever. I'm just, okay. My oldest son, you know, he's, he's now 13, but he, he was the one kid that when he was young, the things that he wanted to do with me were absolutely draining. And I've apologized to him for, I was like, dude, you would come up to me as a six-year-old because his mind was just always thinking, what can I build? What can I take apart? And it's like, those are the things that are super draining and almost even anxiety inducing for me. I don't want to put anything together. I don't want (laughs) to, these are the things I don't want to do, son. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Michael, thank you so much, man. I really do appreciate your time for sure. It's a blessing to know you and uh, to learn from you. So I appreciate it, bro. Thank you so much, Joey. Good to see you.
for listening. There's a link in the show notes to our podcast Facebook page where we talk about these episodes and share some behind the scenes information, including guests we're booking. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode.